when Eric was asking me to do this passage, he asked me uh, to preach on the cup of communion and the blood of Christ, and so I started uh, looking into the passage and reading it and praying about it, and I thought, none of that is in here, so we're not going to be talking about the cup of communion, we're going to be talking about fasting instead. And so I'm asking this question this morning. The title of this morning's message is Fasting or Feasting? What should we do? So our scripture reading is Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. If you want to follow along with the Bible on the back of the pew in front of you or on your phone or other device. Otherwise, it'll be up on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 14. Then John's disciples came, that's John the Baptist. John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. The patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Instructions unclear. My wife, Shannon, and I, we really value quality time together. And now that we have a baby, quality time is increasingly difficult to find. But that's one of our primary love languages. So we're trying to get creative. One night we planned on having a Dollarama date night. So on my way home from my office here at the church, and I was going to stop in at Dollarama and pick out an activity for us to do um, after we get Esther into bed. So as I was searching around the craft section, then I saw cross-stitching kits. Everything that you need for beginner cross-stitching. So cross-stitching is completely new to the two of us, so we sat down at our table, and we unpacked everything, we start reading through the instructions, and everything is making sense, and then we get to this line, take your strands of six and separate them into strands of two for your cross-stitching. We look up at each other and go, we only have four colors. So we decided to ignore that and begin our patterns. 
Some of you may know where this is going. Pretty quickly, we're running out of the colors that we need to go and finish the patterns. There isn't nearly enough thread to finish everything. So we think, those dang people at Dollarama not giving us enough thread to do the pattern that they gave us. And the next day, we realized that each color actually is made up of six strands. And so that's the six strands that we're supposed to separate into two strands, not the four colors. And so once we started using these strands of two, instead of trying to pull six strands through the little holes in the cloth, it was much easier to pull the thread through, and it was looking way better, and we realized we would have had more than enough thread to do the whole pattern from the start. So we went back and read the instructions again. Why were we so confused? Take your strands of six and separate them into strands of two to do your cross-stitching. Seems pretty straightforward at this point. <laughs> but at first, it didn't make any sense to us at all. We thought the instructions were talking about the colors, but it was talking about the six strands within those colors. So we didn't even know how to ask the right question because we totally misunderstood what the instructions were asking of us. And Jesus' interaction with John the Baptist's disciples is sort of like that. The question that they ask is entirely missing the point of what Jesus is trying to instruct them. Just previous to the question and the parables that Jesus provides, we find that Jesus is feasting. He's feasting with tax collectors and with sinners. In fact, Jesus is in Matthew's house. Matthew the tax collector is the author of this gospel. That's whose house he's at. Verse 10, just before what we read at verse 14, tells us that. He's at Matthew's house. And during this feast, Jesus is asked by the Pharisees, why do you feast with sinners and tax collectors? And now Jesus is being asked by John the Baptist's disciples about why Jesus' disciples don't fast. So he's being questioned and questioned again. And Jesus as always, really, gives a very interesting answer, to say the least. Jesus talks about a bridegroom and sewing clothes and how to store your wine. What does any of this have to do with fasting? It seems like Jesus isn't talking about fasting at all. He's talking about lots of other things. What's he doing? Is he avoiding the question? Well, the fact is that this is a tactic that Jesus commonly used in his parables and in his teachings. He often took things in unexpected directions. Because the goal of parables is to get you to think. Jesus is trying to teach a very important truth, but he's not going to just outright say it. I think our whole relationship with God is sort of like this. God doesn't force us to love him. 
He builds a genuine relationship with us. If we were forced into it, then it wouldn't be genuine love. And he doesn't reveal all of the mysteries about himself and about the universe to us all at once. He wants us to learn. It's about the journey. You can read all the lists of facts that you want, but until you actually start to think about and ponder and process and experience that information, you probably haven't really learned anything. Because the best teachers don't give all the answers away. The best teachers ask good questions. So when Jesus tells a parable, then we're left with all kinds of questions. When we find the answers to those questions, that's when we begin to understand the parable and the truth that Jesus is trying to teach. So, what do a bridegroom and clothes and wineskins have to do with fasting? Well, first, let's address the bridegroom. In verse 15, Jesus gives sort of part one in his response to the question about fasting. He says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? I think it's pretty clear that Jesus is talking about his disciples and himself when he references the guests and the bridegroom who is with them. And probably the most important thing to note out of this section is that there's a subtle claim that Jesus is actually making here. Isaiah 62, verse 5. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. With this verse from Isaiah in mind, it's a bit clearer to see Jesus is making a claim to be God by referencing himself as the bridegroom. He is God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is saying, I'm the bridegroom with my guests. And so while I'm here, we're not going to fast. We're going to feast. And next, the wineskins and the clothes, the cloth. During Jesus' time, then wine was not kept in glass bottles like it is today. It was kept in goat skins that were sewn into a watertight bag. And new wine, when you pour it into a wine skin, new wine expands as it ferments. And so it stretches the wine skin with it. So if you constantly are pouring new wine into an old wine skin, it's going to keep stretching until it overstress and it rips and it bursts. And both the wine and the wine skin are ruined. And as for the unshrunk cloth, if a person puts a new unshrunk patch on an old washed shrunk garment, when you wash it, the new unshrunk patch will shrink and it will rip away from the old garment, causing a larger hole than was there in the first place. 
So just as you shouldn't put new wine into old wineskins and a new patch onto an old garment, Jesus has not come to patch up old religious traditions. Rather, Jesus offers an entirely new garment. Jesus has not come to work with the old wineskin that's Jewish traditional acts of righteousness. Instead, Jesus is offering entirely new righteousness, his own righteousness. Jesus has come to bring the kingdom of heaven with him, something entirely new. But Jesus didn't come to get rid of the Old Testament and the law. He came to fulfill it. He tells us that very specifically in Matthew 5, 17. The kingdom of God, or as Matthew calls it, the kingdom of heaven, had been prophesied about for centuries. They were talked about it all through the Old Testament. And now Jesus has come to fulfill those prophecies. The new gospel that Jesus brings about is that the bridegroom has arrived, and he's brought a whole new wedding party with him. And I think this this message will always remain sort of new, because it has to be accepted and applied into every new generation. And following Christ today means that we have to be prepared for new ways to live out the gospel, new ways to see and love the people around us as the people around us change, and new ways to love and serve God and our neighbors. We can't just keep doing what we've always done and expect it to keep working. So stop pouring new wine into old wineskins. Jesus is saying that ritual discipline does not equal spiritual growth. Well, then what does? Fasting is supposed to promote spiritual growth, right? It's about denying ourselves of something physical so that we can be more focused on something spiritual. Exactly. The problem isn't that John the Baptist's uh, disciples were fasting and that the Pharisees were fasting. That's not the problem. The problem is that the Pharisees, for example, are so obsessed with fasting that it has lost its true meaning entirely. They added all kinds of extra rules that God hadn't given them about fasting. It had become something routine that they were required to do, whether or not it brought them closer to God. I would encourage you all to give fasting a try, especially if you never have. Speaking from experience, Sometimes intentionally going into hangry mode can be really eye-opening about your emotional and your spiritual health. But fasting doesn't just have to be about food either. 
Sometimes fasting from food is not really a great option. Take medications, for example. People fast from food, but they also fast from alcohol, social media, chocolate, coffee. Someone I even know fasted from sleeping in their bed, and for a whole season of Lent, they decided to sleep on the floor. If fasting from food doesn't sound like a very good option for you, try getting creative. What can you fast from? But if fasting is so good for spiritual growth, then why didn't Jesus' disciples fast? Shouldn't they have been fasting? Something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, and to be honest, kind of struggling with, is that the world isn't as black and white as I once thought it was. Jesus speaks in confusing parables that aren't simple and straightforward. Jesus is talking about unshrunk cloth and wineskins. Today, we probably have a hard time picturing what those even look like, let alone being able to decipher what on earth they have to do with fasting. And if Jesus doesn't paint the world very black and white, and I think that's a clear indicator for me that it probably isn't. John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus and they ask, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus answers, have you ever sewn clothes before? What do you know about storing wine? It almost feels like Jesus is being confusing on purpose. Jesus, they were just trying to ask a simple question. Should we fast or should we not fast? Why are you making this so hard? And I think he's trying to show them it's the wrong question. You're misunderstanding the instructions. You're asking the question as if the world is just all black and white, that either we should fast or we shouldn't fast. But it's just not that simple. Fasting and feasting, just as much as anything else, are full of nuance. But nuance isn't just abstract and confusing and gray either. The world is actually full of many different and beautiful colors. The world isn't just black and white, and it's not just gray either. It's purple, and orange, and green, and red, and blue, and yellow. A nuance doesn't have to be frustrating and confusing, but there's beauty in diversity. There's a beauty in the diversity that God has created within each of us. The whole thing is about intentionality, I think, and doing what's appropriate at the appropriate time. There is a time for fasting, and there is a time for feasting. Feasting. 
And they might show up at different times for different people. And that's okay. For John the Baptist's disciples, it would make sense to fast frequently and often because they were striving to grow spiritually. But for Jesus' disciples, it made more sense to feast because the bridegroom is with them. And so for us, here and now, should we fast or should we feast? I would argue it doesn't necessarily matter. Just as long as you know why you're doing what you're doing. Does it bring you closer to God? Why or why not? And does it bring others closer to God? I think the key is to not do things without thinking. Be careful that you aren't just going through the motions in your relationship with God. Don't just go through the motions of ritualistic discipline like fasting. Don't just go through the motions of coming to church together here on Sundays or doing your personal devotions. Don't just go through the motions of celebrating Lord's Supper. Be intentional about what you do. Pay attention to what God is doing. How is he working in you? How is he working in the people around you? And what kinds of ways are you involved in to try to help you see God in new ways? This church community is an opportunity to see God in different ways. After the service today, Try talking to someone new, someone old, someone young, someone different from you. See what you can learn from them. Normally, during Lent, the season leading up to Easter, normally we fast. We give things up as we reflect on our sin and on the death of Jesus. Normally it's a solemn and a somber time. But for now, let's take some time together to share a sort of feast in honor of our bridegroom. And Jesus came to establish a new kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. He brought it with him here, and we look forward to a day when Jesus Christ, our bridegroom, will return again with a party. The kingdom of heaven will reach its fullness, and Christ will judge the living and the dead, and he will welcome those he loves with open arms. Amen. Let's pray together. And Jesus, we thank you for your saving grace. 
which you earned for us by your death on the cross and by your resurrection three days later. And we pray that you would help us to be intentional in the ways that we worship you and interact with you and interact with the people around us. That whether we fast or we feast, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. Amen.